Well, hello, everyone. This is Joseph Barone with A Fool for Learning. And our foolish thought for the day is interview with Kate Bendemio. Um, I met Kate a while back at a networking event. I believe it was Connect MoCo, which mm -hmm. is a network uh, a networking event that is open not just to people in Montgomery County, Maryland, but open to anyone in the DMV. So we get people from Howard County, for those of you who don't know, uh, Maryland and Arundel County. We get people from Northern Virginia. We'd even get people from Pennsylvania joining in. And so I met her and she was actually the very first trainer or learning professional, I should say, that I met uh, at one of these events, which is really unusual. It never happens, the first one. But let me tell you a little bit about Kate before we, we get into our interview today. Um, Kate Vendemio is a workplace learning consultant, small business owner, and certified project management professional. For over 15 years, she has provided strategic guidance on training programs and curriculum design for the federal government, private sector, nonprofits, and associations. Kate is the founder and CEO of Mount Vernon Consulting, a woman-owned consulting firm that creates customized training for businesses to help employees do their jobs effectively. Kate has a master's certificate in project management from George Washington University School of Business and a bachelor's degree from John Carroll University. Outside of work and not during the pandemic, Kate is working towards the goal of visiting all 50 states and the home country of each of her ancestors. She also enjoys working in her vegetable garden and taking and talking ad nauseum about her crop yields to anyone patient enough to listen. So welcome, Kate. Thank you. The cicadas so are really glad. throwing, I was gonna say the cicadas <laughs> are throwing off my uh, my garden right now. So <laughs> <laughs> Well, they, they've really started to come out today in my backyard. I've noticed them all over my shed and a variety of other things just climbing up and, mm -hmm. and molting and, and flying away. Mm -hmm. So, um, again, Kate, thank you very much for joining me today. And as I've told our listeners, we met in a networking session. But, Kate, I want to – I've read your biography, but tell me a little bit more about yourself, or at least tell your listeners a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So – I am an entrepreneur by spirit, but it took me many years to recognize that that's really where my heart was. <laughs> so um, I've worked in a variety of different aspects of the learning and development world in a variety of different arenas. So started off working in the corporate world, then went and worked for a nonprofit, then was a federal government employee for four years on a term. Uh, then jumped into consulting, and that's where I really started to find my niche in the world. So, you know, I'm one of those people, and when I do, I do a lot of mentoring for um, for students at my university where I graduated from, and I say to a lot of them, it's okay to be a, a liberal arts major and not really know what you want to do. Um, you know, it's part of the journey, and it's how I've... Mm -hmm become where I am now. And I think sometimes 
we put so much pressure on ourselves to really know what we want to be when we're 23 years old. Um, and it took me a long time to get to that point, but I feel comfortable and confident now in, in where I am. And how did you, one of the interesting things is how did you come to this idea of becoming an entrepreneur? How did, was there a, a particular event or were you thrust into it? Uh, how did that happen? So I come from a family of entrepreneurs, but interestingly, none of us ever really identified ourselves as entrepreneurs, right? So my dad actually started um, two successful businesses. He is a lawyer by trade and started two um, claims adjusting businesses. So he worked in insurance law. And so it wasn't a law firm, but it was a, a claims adjusting firm. And I mean, he did that for years and that's just what I knew. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have two of my uncles have one's an architect and has a very successful architecture and building firm. Another one is an engineer, started his own business. But again, we never really identified ourselves as entrepreneurs. It was just, you know, they just started their own businesses. Right. So I think that's why it wasn't necessarily on my radar. Mm -hmm. um, but the benefit slash downfall of being a consultant is that you are trained and you pick up very quickly on areas that could be improved. And I realized through my career that that's what I really liked to do was identify where there were some challenges in an organization or, um, you know, within a program. And I liked to be able to identify that and help make the improvements. And realize that I am really empowered to do that through the funnel of entrepreneurship. So, so oh, I was going to say when I, when I, when I moved into consulting, I, I, I worked for a firm and I started to see that there were a lot of people who were subcontractors, right? So they were experts in a particular field that were brought in by a larger consulting firm. And I started to really be interested in that at the same time that I really figured out that learning and development was the niche that I loved. Um, and so I started, I started to just kind of explore. I did a lot of informational interviews with people and spent several years really getting to the point where honing in on my skills. And then until I felt confident to be able to start my own consulting firm. Okay. And unlike you know, my, mine was different. Mine was kind of thrust into this yeah. uh, sort of when, when my organization, my former organization came to me with the buyout and said, here's, here's the buyout. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I thought about it very quickly myself and didn't have a lot of time and said, you know, do I really want to go back to the corporate world? I decided against it. I decided right. I've had enough years in the learning business. I know what I'm successful and good at. And I decided to give it a shot. And, and part of it was to give it a shot, even if I failed and it didn't work out at all, at least I could say I tried and I failed, but I learned quite a bit. And I've learned, I learned every day from this, mm -hmm. but being an entrepreneur in the, in the, in the learning field. Um, and I think some of the challenges that you probably face are, are really the challenges that any consultant faces, but what are some of the, the biggest challenges you face uh, in the learning field as a consultant? Um, yeah, 
So I feel like the learning world is actually lends itself really nicely to entrepreneurship and consulting, right? In some ways, learning and development is something that everyone needs, but they don't always think about it until they're at a, a crisis or, you know, people are demanding it, <laughs> you know, staff mm -hmm. needs it and wants it. So, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I sort of joke that it's an opportunistic field in the sense that you talk to the right people at the right time, or you plant ideas in their heads and they think, I need someone exactly like you. And I did not even know people like you existed. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that's kind of what's, what's fun. Um, what some of the challenges are for entrepreneurship in, in general, and certainly in the learning and development world is, you know, there's, there's competition and it's getting the business, right? I mean, that's, that's a challenge for entrepreneurs across the board is how do you get the business? Um, how do you retain that business? Um, and as an entrepreneur, as a solopreneur, you're focused on everything, your brand, your image, your deliverables. Um, you're the one that's going out to all mm -hmm. the events or right now, you know, attending them online. You're the one writing the proposals. I mean, you're doing everything. And I came from a larger consulting firm that had mm -hmm. its own business development mm -hmm. team. And it had, mm -hmm. you know, multiple people that helped write proposals. Mm -hmm. And when you're a solopreneur that you're doing that all yourself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and so, you know, let me ask you, because I've, I've gone from, again, I've only been in the business as a consultant for literally just over two years from when I left my organization. In reality, I did not start, I didn't really start going out and marketing myself until about August of 2019. So it's really been a little bit less than two years that I've gone out and I've made a lot of mistakes on the way. Um, you know, I didn't have my message honed and I learned that by practicing and talking with people, etc. cetera. Um, my website wasn't the greatest at first. Um, I got some really good advice recently and revamped it. But for you, um, because what I found is the best way for me to reach people and to get that aha moment that, yes, like you said, I need you, Joe. I need you, Kate, to help me to be a better business, to help me grow my business, to help me mm -hmm. uh, to solve the problems. Uh, I used to do a lot of face-to-face -face networking. That was my big thing. And that was the way I was able to really start to get some business. What about for you? What are, you know, now we're all doing Zoom, but what are the, the ways that you're doing it? And do you have any particular tip or trick that you use or suggestion for someone um, to say, hey, Here's, here's where I think, here, here's how I do it. Here's places that I go, but here's a little insight that I've been successful at. And I know I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, so, <clears throat> so I would say I consider myself a very extroverted person. I love people. I get energy being around people, but I hate going to in-person networking events. And part of the reason is because I always feel like an outsider. Because as soon as you come in, you know, there's people that are all grouped together and, you know, you're kind of the one that's wandering around and then you end up talking to a random person. It doesn't always benefit. And so I actually have a lot of anxiety around attending some of these big networking events. I actually love Zoom networking events. And part of why I love, if you go to the right ones, 
So you and I, you know, met through this, uh, the MoCo speed networking, which is amazing the way that it's structured Mm -hmm. because they basically put you into breakout rooms with four or five people. You meet them, you talk to them, you get to know them. Then you come to the main group. Then they put you in another breakout room. And so I find that's actually really a great way to get to know people. I find it a better return on investment um, than, you know, going to some networking event after work and then you've got to buy the obligatory drink and then you walk around and sort of nurse it Mm -hmm. all day or all evening. So I actually like them, but when it comes to different ways to to get out there, I've been blessed. I have a lot of really great mentors and role models in my life. And one person who's in in the field said to me once, you need to stop wasting your time going to networking events that's in your field. And he said, because what you're doing is going to networking events with a bunch of broke, he said, you're a, a broke, um, consultant looking for business, you're basically going to networking events with other broke consultants who are looking for the same business. Stop going to those events. And I thought, wow, that's incredibly insightful. Like I'd never thought about it like that. And so I started to kind of think about networking in a couple different ways is that I do certain networking or I attend certain groups or I'm part of certain groups because I can actually be on top of industry trends. Right. And so that's when you go to your, you know, for our field, it's the ATDs of the world. It's um, locally, it's MAPN, the Mid-Atlantic Facilitators Network. That's where I'm learning from other practitioners. I, I look at that as a learning opportunity. Then there are other networking events that I go to with the specific target or goal of drumming up some business. Right. And that's where I go to some of the ones that are in the HR community. Right. So my niche market is generally working with smaller organizations where they might have one HR person who's in charge of everything from compensation to hiring to training and and whatnot. So I, I guess that would be my one of my biggest tips is to really think about the intention of what networking event you're going to, because you can fill up your entire week of networking, but if you don't have a goal in mind for it, it can be a waste of your time. And I I would agree with you 100%. I think part of being a new um, consultant, a new entrepreneur is you've got to test the waters too. You've got Mm -hmm. to go to a couple of different things to see what works and what doesn't work. In fact, I just decided I'm part of a networking group and there's a variety of reasons I'm part of it. Not that I've gotten a lot of business from it. I've gotten very little business. But there are other reasons why I've joined, why I've stayed with it. And I've decided mm-hmm. to try another networking group. And I went to it and the people are all very, very nice. There's nothing wrong with them. But it's a lot like my saint, the group I'm currently in. And that's of yeah. no value to me, none right. whatsoever. And so I've kind of been shopping around looking for another networking group. And after talking to someone, they, they, the advice that they gave to me was you really need to go to more a business-to-business type networking mm-hmm. group, not a business-to-consumer. Right. Uh, because I said one of my problems, as you, as you realize, and, and, and this is really some advice for new consultants out there, is that you go to many of these networking events 
And you don't meet the mover and the shaker. You don't meet the decision maker. You meet the person who's new to the organization, or you meet someone who's told, you know, not the decision maker, but somewhere towards the bottom. And they're not the right person. They're not going to say, hey, you know, that's a really good, I'm going to bring that up to my manager. I'm going to talk to the boss about this. Um, and, And you waste a lot of time, but sometimes you have to go through that process to, to mm-hmm. figure it out. And every once in a while, you do strike some gold. Um, mm-hmm. I, I will say I've had one or two close to gold moments, not the gold yet, but getting close to it, where I've, I've gone to these events and met someone, but still it's not always quite the right one. So I agree with you um, on that. And I also agree with you, you know, going to your own, professional networking group is good. There's nothing wrong with that. You learn a lot, but you're not, and you may get some business. Somebody may say, Hey, I have a subconscious job or I have a Mm -hmm. job I can't do. I think you might be the right person for that, but it's, I think something you have to be in the business for a while. People need to get a hold, know you just like in any networking group, people need to get to know you before they'll say, Hey, Kate, uh, I got this job. I, I can't handle it. Um, would you be interested? I'll, I'll, you know, make the referral and, and mm-hmm. make the introductions and then you can, you can handle it from there. Um, so I think that's a, that's a very, very good point of figuring out what's the right <clears throat> networking group to do, do. Don't waste your time with any that are not giving you any business and to figure out the right one, especially if you've got a particular niche in okay. training. Right. Um, I will say also, so I've been working with a business coach for the past year who's mm-hmm. really been pushing me out of my comfort zone um, in, a, in a good way. But she, you know, she reminds me regularly that networking takes time and attending one event and expecting to get a lot of business out of it is just unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think what you're saying is, you know, I would say that anyone out there thinking about it is try things out, go a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, see what the people are like, but again, like you said, see who you're able to meet, right? Some of these, you know, you could go to some of these executive breakfasts and roundtables where you can get in with the right people, um, but it takes time, and and some of them are invite only, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to be out there in the first place for people to know you. Um, but what my coach has also really been talking to me about is is working to establish myself as a subject matter expert or as a, as a knowledge expert. Right. And so you do that. That's a more passive way of business development, but you're slowly working to establish yourself as an expert. And that's by posting things on LinkedIn. That's by speaking at events. That's by, um, you know, being, uh, being on a board. So, I mean, there are other ways that you can also, get your name and brand out so that you're not always the one that's chasing after people. Mm-hmm. Instead, businesses are chasing after you. Um, so that's my goal. Of course, it's the goal for all of us, but it takes a while to get there. So let me ask you this. How, how much of this sort of, I'll call it stuff, the <laughs> using, yeah. using, using the, the New York phrase, the, stuff, the, um, <laughs> The talks that you give, the blog writing, how much of that do you do, let's say, each month or every quarter? Do you have a goal and do you meet that goal and do you have one preference over another? Um, 
So that's a really good question. Um, and, and I hope my business coach isn't listening because I'm sure she will have strong opinions on it. But mm-hmm. um, I, I believe that life is all about moderation, right? And so I'm comfortable and where I am with my business and I am very comfortable being a solopreneur, okay? So I think if you are in a different mindset, you're in a growth, if you're one of those people who wants to oversee and run a full training firm, then, you know, you look at things a little differently. Um, But for me, um, I would say 90%, actually at this point, probably 95% of my business is all referrals and repeat business, which I'm okay with. But that also means that I then don't spend as much time on business development. And by that, you know, the stuff, as we call it, the networking, the blog writing, the LinkedIn posts, et cetera. I don't spend as much time as my business coach probably wants me to do. Um, And I think that kind of speaks to another struggle that solopreneurs go through is we're just one person. Right. And so when you want to be committed to providing high quality work and strong customer service to your clients, there's only so much time in the day to put towards helping promote your business. So I will say for me, one of my very intentional business development moves is to provide such amazing customer service and product to my clients that they keep wanting me to come back. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, I'm not sure that quite answers your question in terms of the timing, but I would say for me, disproportionately large amount of time is really spent with my clients. That's an intentional thing, though I am aware that eventually my cup will run dry. (laughs) And so I am trying to get out ahead of it to carve myself out as an industry expert. And and that's an excellent point because that's a point that's been made to me by a number of entrepreneurs is that you cannot just rely on three or four clients that you have and hope that they'll come back over and over again to you because at some point they may retire. The business may go turn south for whatever reason Mm -hmm. beyond their control, let's say because of the pandemic uh, or whatever other reason. And you need to get out there on a regular basis to show that you are the subject matter expert. Uh, I myself, as you know, do the podcasts and I Mm -hmm. try to do them fairly religiously twice a week. And as you mentioned to me, as we've talked before, you know, my podcasts are normally very short. That's just me. I like prefer a short podcast as Mm -hmm. opposed to a longer one, such as this interview. But I also think periodically interviews such as this is really great. So for me, my podcast goal is twice a week, Tuesday, Thursday mornings, except during the summer and during the Christmas, New Year holidays, I kind of take that period off. But by and large, I've been fairly good about it. But you are correct. It takes a lot of time. It is not something that you can just do, snap the fingers and the magic appears. It takes a while to come up with the ideas. That's really the hardest part, figuring what am I going to talk about? What am I going to do? Yeah. What am I going to write about? Because for a while I was doing blogs and I, yep. someone gave me the advice and said, you'll be better if you do podcasts and videos than if you just write. Uh, and so, you know, I, I've seen your blogs um, on LinkedIn. You talk about mm-hmm. some innovative learning technology that you've used. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look at them, actually, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I, I've seen at least two. <coughs> excuse me. I've seen at least two. And I've, I've taken a look at the technology and said, oh, it's interesting. It's not for me at this moment. 
Um, but yes, you have to get out there and you have to get out there on a regular basis. So it, you're right. It's you're juggling. And it also depends on what else is happening in your life. If you've yeah. got a family with small children or if your children are grown mm-hmm. or it's just you, you know, and you have to think about this. Are you willing to work on a Saturday night to work on your blog postings or a Saturday morning um, or do the recordings, you know, Sunday night when everybody is asleep and there's no noise yep. in the neighborhood. Uh, all of those yep. sorts of things you have to, to think about on what you're going to do. But yes, it's important to get out and networking. And I've, and I'll be honest, Kate, I've had to do it, you know, being in the corporate world, uh, I call where I came from the corporate world for almost mm-hmm. 28 years. And before that in local government for four I didn't have to really do any of that in the right. sense of like you do it and I now do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a whole new world, a whole new ball of wax. And, and, and probably like you, I've made all of the mistakes that I, you know, a, a new consultant yep. can make <laughs> in the business of networking and giving the wrong sales pitch and probably chasing after any opportunity in the early days that you thought is right. going to make you that buck and bring in that revenue. Well, and and that's actually an interesting point. But one other thing I wanted to just um, reiterate about the, you know, the podcast, the LinkedIn, the blogs, whatnot, is um, I've started to block time on my calendar. So I'm, um, I like to joke that I'm the most efficient worker ever, because I work while my children are in school, because I have little children. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I work six straight hours, I probably produce more than the average person does in an eight to 10 hour workday because I am motivated and driven because I don't want to do it. You know, my, my working then has to be late at night, you know, if mm-hmm. I don't get it done during the day. Um, and so I've really started time blocking. And so I do, um, you know, Friday afternoons, actually, actually right after this, I have blocked on my calendar that I need to write a proposal to be a speaker at an upcoming event. Um, and I live by my calendar. So for mm-hmm. me, that works. I actually have it scheduled twice a month um, on Mondays. I have it blocked to write LinkedIn posts. Um, and so I think you have to kind of know yourself. But if you're the type of person who is very, um, you know, for me, if it's on my calendar, I'm going to get it done. <laughs> so um, that's something that I've started to pepper my my calendar with one it also blocks it from other people scheduling things at that time um so that's something that's really worked out well and I also just kind of know my rhythm I know Monday mornings I'm in a fog it takes a little bit of time to get into the groove so that's a really good sort of writing reflective time um and then I know that I don't have the stress hanging over my head all week of, oh my gosh, you need to get that LinkedIn post written and put up there. And, and Kate, that's an excellent tip. You know, blocking out a period of time every day, twice a week, et cetera. I had a, a former manager who used to do that every day. She would block out an hour every morning, no phone calls, no e- respond to email messages, nothing, and just focus on work in that hour, doing the reading that she needed to do, the report mm-hmm. writing, so that there was no interruptions. And that's a great technique for someone, if you can get into that habit of doing yeah. that, of blocking that hour, two hours worth of time once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. For me, one of my techniques is it's the traditional to-do list. I, I have to mm-hmm. have a to-do list because if I don't, Things do not get done. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm the type that I'll start something, and maybe you are too, and then I'll see something else and I'll jump to that and then I'll jump to the <laughs> other thing. And by the time I get back around, I, I've started to work on 10 other things and gotten nothing done. So uh, as I always say to people, do what works best for you. If blocking Absolutely. out that time is the way to do it on a Monday morning, go for it. If you need a to-do list, whether it be on a piece of paper, a whiteboard, or mm-hmm. on OneNote, it doesn't matter. Do whatever works best for you. And I'm glad to hear that technique. And I'm glad that we can share that out with, with the listeners, because I know uh, I have a couple of sales reps that listen to, to the podcast. And I know it's something we've talked about with some of them. And I know this will probably just be a great reminder for some of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like, like I said, I, I love time management. It's actually one of the classes that I teach. And I always joke that I like to teach it because it reminds me again to get refocused on managing my time. <laughs> because you need to be, I mean, you know, yes, in theory, I block every Monday, but you know, life happens and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. But you also have to know yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So like I said, I'm writing uh, after this, I have an hour blocked to write um, for this proposal. I know that it's a gorgeous day outside and I really want to get out in my garden. So I'm going to actually just go to a coffee shop and do this writing outdoors. Um, and because otherwise, it's, I'm going to just be itching to dig in my garden and I'm going to push aside <laughs> my goal. And so you have to know yourself. And mm-hmm. that's a trait of an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and to be successful. You have to know where your limitations are, where your strengths are, and you have to be self-motivated enough to know how to overcome mm-hmm. some of your challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that for me to go to the coffee shop, it's a waste because I'll be watching everybody else around me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I don't dare go to a place like that uh, because it just, I'll just people watch the whole time uh, mm-hmm. sitting there. But there's one other thing I'd like to talk about, which I think um, the listeners will find interesting. And it's something that you and I talked about during our our one-on-one when we kind of got to know each other after the MoCo event. And this is a a really big one for entrepreneurs, whether they be in the learning business or whatever business they're in. And that is trying to figure out your rate. How much do you charge? And you know, and I think that's one of the, the big things that I'd like to, to hear from you a little bit um, about how did you determine, how do you determine your rate? Did you see other people and what they were charging? Did you lowball yourself? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's a, a question that uh, I, I wish I had a really simple answer for the rate. And I would say, especially in our industry, it varies dramatically. Um, and, and so, you know, you can't just hop onto like a glassdoor.com and try and figure out, you know, here's, here's the average of what people do. And it depends on your certifications. It depends on the type of, you know, the industry, the type of client you're working with, be it government, whatnot. Um, so I guess I, I was fortunate that I came from working for a consulting firm. So I had some benchmarks as to specifically what the federal government accepts in terms of rates. So I think a lot of it comes to strategy, right? So when I first started my business, I was very focused on getting business, right? Because that's, that's what helps mm-hmm. us all succeed, right? Mm-hmm. So I also wanted a lot of business. 
because I wanted to be able to eventually go after the bigger contracts and be able to show strong past performance. And so how do I show good past performance? You know, previous projects I've worked on, I needed to get those projects. So I intentionally charged less when I first started. And I've got, like I said, I've got a lot of great mentors in the workplace or, you know, in my career. And, and so, you know, people always are a little uncomfortable to talk money, but you can kind of like throw sort of like throwing spaghetti on the wall and see, see what sticks. You, know, you can kind of loosely say like, am I in the right ballpark for this? Um, and, and you can, you can generally get some good feedback from some people who are in your industry. Um, so again, I, I went lowball from the beginning because I wanted the work. Then I had the problem, which every entrepreneur, you know, should be blessed to have, but I had too much work. So then sort of through necessity, I started to weed out some of the work by charging more. Um, there is one organization that we were a great fit. They wanted me to be a subcontractor. And I just could sense they needed me a little bit more than I needed them. And so they asked me my hourly rate and I threw out a ridiculous rate, a ridiculously high rate that I've never used. I'd never used before. And they took it and they didn't even negotiate it. And to me, that was a huge win and it boosted my confidence. Mm -hmm. And so I will say the evolution of my rate is that it has gone up every year and I feel more and more confident with it every time because I can now see, you know, if I go after a proposal um, and I don't win it for whatever reason, you know, I like to have debrief conversations and figure out, you know, was it price? Was it my approach? You know, so you ask those questions to get feedback. Um, the other thing is I do, of course, vary my rate based on who the audience is. A nonprofit is going to be different than a technology company, which is different than federal government, which is an established rate generally. So, um, you know, there's so much that goes into determining your rate. Mm -hmm. I would say kind of like what we said with networking, you know, try it out, <laughs> see who responds and who doesn't. And if they don't accept your proposal, then ask why to try and get mm -hmm. some insight. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not asking you for a dollar number here. Mm -hmm. Not asking you for your hourly rate, but I'm going to ask you, you have a particular hourly rate. Let's say your hourly rate is $100 an hour. I don't know what your rate is. We've never talked about it. Mm -hmm. So I, to anyone who's listening, I don't know. I'm just throwing that number out as a kind of a benchmark type thing. When you start out, what percentage of a discount, you know, okay, you say $100 an hour. When you start out, did you like drop your rate down? And I'm asking this because I think this would help a lot of people. Did you drop your rate down like 40% or 50% of what the, what your goal was to try to get that business in? And I don't know if you want to share that or not, but I'm going to, throw that out to you. So I kind of did it in a completely different way. Okay. Um, so what I did is I calculated basically how much money I wanted or need. No, I calculated how much money <laughs> I needed to make for the year. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I automatically added on the 30% for taxes. And that's kind of how I backed into an hourly 
rate. So knowing full well that I wasn't going to hit that rate at first. So, you know, so I didn't take a, I didn't have a goal. I guess I didn't have a goal in mind and then take an X percentage from it. Um, I just knew that I had to get to this end number. Mm -hmm. And so if I did a lower rate for certain clients, then I would just have to take on more work. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was okay with that at first. So I do more work at a lesser rate to get the experience. Now it's evolving. Um, and, and so that's, again, you know, my coach and I have worked a lot on that. So I, I do it more about what's the annual revenue that I want to make. Mm -hmm. And then that helps me determine what projects I go after, mm -hmm. what the rate is going to be. Um, then it gets more complicated when you bring in subcontractors um, and, you know, you also have to take into account like your, you know, your, your taxes, um, definitely learned a big, big lesson about taxes this year because I, um, let's just say I would highly recommend everyone regularly check in with your CPA, not just once a year. Um, because my quarterly estimated taxes, I thought I was pretty good with them. I was way off. And so for 2020, I owed a lot more than I had expected, which really mm -hmm. threw off my, um, my projections for 2021. Mm -hmm. Very good advice. Very good advice. <laughs> and I'm actually going to ask one more thing and then I'm going to mm -hmm. kind of wrap up our, our interview. You talked about, and, and I love to talk about this is how do you keep on top of your game? And so one of the organizations that you mentioned is uh, I believe it's, MAFN, M-A-F-N, the Mid-Atlantic mm -hmm. Facilitators Network. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that organization and what you get out of it to help you stay on top of your game? Sure. So I had heard about MAFN a couple years ago, and they used to always meet in person at a government agency in D.C. And it was just never convenient for me to get down there on a Friday attend, whatever. So once the pandemic hit and they started to move virtual, I was actually able to, to join more regularly. And, and, and this, I'm not getting paid for an endorsement of math and I just mm -hmm. happen to really like them. And I like it because it's a, it's a, it's a casual group of facilitators who, and, and, you know, in the learning world, we're generally a very nice group of people and we want to, we really truly want to help one another. Um, and so this group has been really good about saying, let's try this technology, right? So, you know, let's, um, let's have a meeting. We're going to practice mural. Um, let's have another meeting. We're going to track practice um, Moreau. Um, there was one where I, I did, what was, oh, how to use whiteboards. And so we, you know, we tried it on Zoom. I, I do it all the time on Zoom, but even then I learned a few things. So it's almost like a working session mm -hmm. that I went to. And then they, then they had us moving over to Jamboard, right? And so you have some people who are really, really experienced in, let's say the technology and how to utilize the technology. Other people who are really good about ways to, um, you know, hand, right now they're doing a lot on diversity, equity, and inclusion, because that's something that a lot of us are seeing our, our clients requesting. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just a group that's really good about being aware of what's on trend, um, 
acknowledging, hey, we're all kind of learning this together. Um, there was another session they had just about how do you facilitate in a hybrid work environment? So we've got people that are coming back into the workplace that'll be in person where other people might remain remote. And so how do you facilitate a conversation when half the people are there and half the people aren't? Mm -hmm. How do you make everyone feel included? I mean, these are relevant topics. Um, how do you build in, what was one, how do you build, or what do you include in your contracts as it relates to Corona, right? Are you going to require people wear masks? Well, now that's changed as of yesterday because of CDC requirement, right? So there's all these things mm -hmm. that I didn't really even think about, but as a solo practitioner, that's got to be on the top of my mind because I, I run everything in my business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so from the contracting to mm -hmm. um, the pricing. Yeah. And and it's important that, that you as a professional like myself stay on top of our game, which is why I've asked you this question, because you don't want to become static. No. Um, and, and that's what you can't be. So whether you're reading the professional literature, watching um, various uh, podcast, listening to podcasts mm -hmm. or watching videos online of professionals, uh, whatever the case might be, attending a professional meeting, it's important for you to stay on top of your game and there. There's actually so much out there, like you said, just like in networking, you can spend all day networking, you can spend all day listening to and reading and watching things in the learning and training field. Um, so you have to be particular about what you find benefits you the most. And so I'm glad that this is one avenue that you that you uh, find very helpful for yourself. So Katie, as we uh, Kate, as we wrap up this this uh, podcast. If someone is interested in speaking with you more about learning or maybe had just a general question for you, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. So I would say also, I am really deeply passionate about supporting other entrepreneurs, particularly women entrepreneurs. And so I am always available, willing to meet and talk about, you know, any challenges or questions that people have about just starting a business in general. Um, and then, of course, I love to talk learning and development, so I could talk about that all day. Um, but people can get in touch with me through a couple ways. Um, one, you can email me at kate, K-A-T-E, at mountvernonconsulting.com. Um, you can also go to my website, mountvernonconsulting.com. And I'm on LinkedIn, so you can follow me on LinkedIn. I think it's LinkedIn and then Kate Vendimio. Okay, very good. Kate, thank you so much for being part of my podcast today. It's been a great uh, chatting with you. We've covered a number of different topics, which I think will really uh, help my listeners, but also I think for people who are interested in, in possibly hiring you to help them, will really mm -hmm. give you some real, give them some really good and deep insights about who you are, how you work, your passion for your work, et cetera. So uh, I want to take this opportunity once again to thank you. And, uh, and for those who are listening, if you ever wish to get a hold of me, you can come to my website at afoolforlearning.com to, to, to reach me, to help you with your business needs. And so as I always end it, this is Joseph Barone, CEO of A Fool for Learning, signing out. Remember, learn, perform, succeed.